Our task this morning is to hear the word God from John 20. John 20, we'll be reading verses 1 through 18. John 20, 1 through 18. And as we go to the word, let us pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit, that we would indeed understand the things that are preached to us. Our Lord and our God, we come before you knowing that this is a holy moment. May it be a holy moment in this sanctuary. May we pay attention, Lord. May you banish all distraction. Father, may we have reverence and respect for your word. Lord, we pray that we would hear what is being preached. Father, that our hearts would be engaged in our minds. That these words, Lord, would be remembered and lived. And Father, that you would anoint these lips of clay to preach your word and anoint the ears of clay to hear it. In Christ's holy name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Hear now the word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, but both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken my way, my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, 
which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then he had said these things to her, the word of God. I'll never forget my Uncle Henry. He lived in Salem, New Hampshire. In 1971, they decided to do something in New Hampshire that was really controversial. They took the motto of the state, which was live free or die, and put it on the license plates. And everybody freaked out. It went from scenic to live free or die. People didn't like it. And they sued and went to the United States Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, they can cover that part up. It's okay. They don't have to have that live free or die part on their license plate. That phrase was adopted by a New Hampshire um, famous soldier of the American Revolutionary War back in 1809. He couldn't come to the event, but he wrote a toast, and this is what it said. Live free or die, death is not the worst of evils. People would be shocked at that statement. Death is not the worst thing that could happen to you? It's the greatest of evils today. It's feared. Comedian Jerry Seinfeld observes that our two biggest fears are dying in public speaking. Guess which one is greater? Public speaking. Death is number two. So if there was a funeral, you would rather be in the box than giving, giving the eulogy. But think about this. Think about two things. We've gone from saying dying. Now no one says that. We went from saying he's dead to he's passed away. And we've gone from that to he passed. We're afraid of death. And isn't it funny to fear something that's inevitable? We're the only creatures on the planet that know we're going to die. Crocodiles don't. Elephants don't. Dogs don't. They don't know they're going to die. But we do, right? An old legend tells of a merchant in Baghdad who one day sent his servant to the market. And before very long, the servant came back white and trembling and in great agitation with his master. He said, down at the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. And when I turned around, I saw it was death that jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Master, please lend me your horse, for I must hasten away to avoid her. 
I will ride to Samara, and there I will hide, and death will not find me. And so the merchant lent him his horse, and the servant galloped away in haste. Later, the merchant went down to the marketplace and saw death standing in the crowd. He went over to her and asked, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture? That was not a threatening gesture, said death. It was only my surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him in Samara tonight. Death is inevitable. The fear of death is huge. It's the elephant in the room. We age. We try to stay young. We try to live forever. We can't find the fountain of youth. But we've changed the terms. Women start coming out with all kinds of cosmetics and things you can wear so you look younger. And men go out and buy expensive sports cars. Right? So we go, oh yeah, now I'm feeling it. Right? A bank in Binghamton, New York, had some flowers sent to a competitor who had recently moved into a new building. But there was a mix-up at the flower shop, and the card sent with the arrangement read, with our deepest sympathy. The florist, who was greatly embarrassed, apologized, but he was even more embarrassed when he realized that the card intended for the bank was attached to a floral arrangement sent to a funeral home in honor of a deceased person. The card read, congratulations on your new location. Beloved, death is not the way it's supposed to be. Do you know that? We say it's only natural. It's not. It's abnormal. And because of what happened, here we are. And my job as a pastor is to be the shepherd of your soul. One of those aspects is to prepare you to die. And you say, wow, that's pretty morbid, man. But it'll all make sense in a moment, okay? We must be clear about what the Scripture is saying so that we're not kept in bondage to lies. Because you're really not ready to live fully until you're ready to die. I remember the elders of a church that I used to be at. I was one of the elders. We went to see a man who was the next day having a risky surgery and weren't sure if he was going to make it. And so the pastor, my pastor, he was there and he said, John, the best thing that can happen tomorrow is you go home to be with the Lord. John looked at him and said, who let you in here? <laughs> Our purpose was to pray for him so that the surgery would go swell. And he said, the best thing that could happen to you is that you die tomorrow and go home to be with Jesus. 
Well, it wasn't too much longer, about a year later, when I went in for open heart surgery in Cleveland, Ohio, and the pastor came. He flew out, and he was there with his wife. It was great, and uh, providing pastoral care to me. And uh, it was the last supper before the surgery. And he came over, and we were talking, and he said, Dave, best thing that could happen to you would be go home and be with the Lord tomorrow. So I was ready for him. But do you see how perspectives can differ wildly and widely? This is Resurrection Sunday. Now, Jesus' body was taken to be buried by Joseph of Arimathea with the help of Nicodemus. And Jesus' body was wrapped in linen, grave cloth, and it wasn't put in a casket, but was laid on its back on a slab with the cloth around the body. And his resurrection took place sometime before dawn on that first Easter morning. And the woman came to finish the job of anointing his body or embalming his body for burial. Matthew mentions Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mark tells us Salome was present. Luke includes Joanna. These devoted women got there at daybreak and they couldn't see clearly But the tomb was open, and the body was not there. Had someone broken into the tomb? Had Joseph of Arimathea chose a different place? Where were the soldiers? The news of Jesus' resurrection ultimately brought hope to people who were overwhelmed by despair. You can hear the disappointment in the words of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they said, we were hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel. But now, being killed on a cross, and the disciples were engulfed by gloom. They had left everything to follow Jesus, pinning all of their hopes on him as Messiah. But now he was dead. On top of that, they watched him die on the cross. It was horrific. And Peter was wrestling with the fact that he denied the Lord. We also see grief and despair in the tears of Mary Magdalene. She was weeping uncontrollably. She was not only despondent that Jesus was dead, but they took his body away. These people were overwhelmed with grief. They had pinned all their hopes on Jesus. Now, get this. Mary Magdalene was the first person to see Jesus resurrected. That's why the Bible's got to be true. Women were not allowed to testify in court in those days. 
In that culture, they weren't considered reliable witnesses. You would think that the Lord would have picked a man, somebody else, right? And think about Mary. She had a rather seamy past. She had seven demons cast out of her. And seven is the number of completeness in the Bible. So the idea is that she was under total demonic domination. And there's no biblical evidence, but it's also believed widely that Mary was not only a Satanist, but she was a prostitute. And of course, she came to Jesus, and Jesus had rescued her from a life of horrible sin, and now she's the first witness of the resurrection, forever revealed in the Scriptures. That's good news for you and me, because if you're honest and I'm honest, we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with guilt. Am I alone in that? I guess I am. You're all perfect. I'm not. All right, I admit it. Now, listen to this. If you don't remember anything, remember this. The resurrection fact takes us from sorrow and fear to hope, joy, and eager expectation. Has this been your experience? At night, you get a pain somewhere or things haven't been right with your body and you say, oh, I think I'm dying. You go on Google, you put it in, it turns out you got cancer. You tell your spouse, wife, husband, friend, I think I got cancer. I just Googled it, you know. Dr. Google says you got cancer. And so you live with that problem for maybe a week or two or three, and you get a doctor's appointment, and the doctor says, who said you had cancer? And you say, well, Dr. Google. Well, where did Dr. Google get his medical license? Right? Turns out you're fine, you don't have anything, and you're totally relieved. You've got a new lease on life. That's what's happening here in a greater way. John comes, and John is the first one to believe that Jesus was resurrected. Why? Because he looked at the grave clothes, and he saw that they were in place, the same place they had been if they were on a body. If someone had ripped off the grave clothes, they would have been all messed up. But here they were in place. It was like Jesus was, one commentator says, vaporized. But he believed. He didn't understand, but he believed. He's alive. He's alive right now. Jesus is alive. And he knows who you are. He knows everything you think, say, or do. He is all-powerful. He is present. He gives us life. And without him doing that, your next heartbeat would not be there. He gives us eternity. 
he gives us victory over sin. There's Mary, Mary Magdalene. She sees angels and apparently doesn't even recognize them. And they ask, why are you weeping? She looks and sees a person and he says, why are you weeping? What are you looking for? You see, Mary was looking for a dead body and not finding one, she was saddened. What about you? What are you looking for? What makes you weep? The point of this question for Mary and for us is to process all of our sorrow in light of the resurrection. Think about that. Do you process all your sorrow in light of the resurrection? Pastor David, you don't understand. I just got a bill from National Grid. It was over $900 for my electric bill. Jesus is alive. I'm sick. I could die. Jesus is alive. You don't understand. My mother died. She was a Christian, but she's dead, and I miss her every day. Jesus is alive. I'm getting old. Jesus is alive. And you're getting closer to your meeting with him. Every sorrow, every pain is changed by the fact that Jesus is alive. Because he lives, we will live also. If our faith and trust are in him and him alone, Amen? That's like a perfect ending to life. We love perfect endings. We crave perfect endings. Now listen, I know you big strong guys, you young men, everybody likes a chick flick. And you know what happens in a chick flick, right? What happens is, there's a guy and a gal And ultimately, even though they go through all the stuff, they get together, and at the end of the whole thing, they kiss, they get married, and the implication is they live happily ever after. That's what we're looking for. If you think about it, do you want to live this life and then end up in eternal misery? Burning, where the fire never goes out? Or would you rather live happily ever after? The proving ground, the probationary term is right now. What is your response to the risen Savior? Nobody has provided any factual evidence 
that the resurrection was not true or is a hoax. Nobody. And nobody can prove a contradiction in the word of God. And nobody can argue with the fact that sin is in the world, that people sin and we can't stop it. I was listening to someone say, who was a deputy and sheriff, deputy sheriff in Florida, how if they had more laws, the same thing would have happened anyway. Like laws can't stop people from committing crime. Maybe some things, but not everything. Gun control, just a law, right? You can control a gun, but people could still get guns. All that stuff. If someone wants to commit a crime, they will. And there's no law that will stop them. We must process in light of the resurrection. We have hope because of the resurrection. Whom are we seeking? Who are we seeking? Is your religion only that of paying homage to someone who's dead on a cross? That's why Protestants get nervous. We don't put a body on the cross. We do that for a reason. We don't put a statue of a dead person on a cross because he's risen. We don't put it on anything we wear. Our crosses don't have bodies on them. My dad was a baker, and every morning he got up, around 3 o'clock he went to work, he got up and he did a couple things that I'll never forget. He got up and he kissed the cross, and then he kissed his wife and his two kids, and he went to work. And when he died, the cross was up for grabs. I said, I'll take it. The knee of Jesus on the cross was worn out for years of him kissing the cross. That was important to me because it gave me evidence of my father's faith. But I couldn't put it in my home with a dead plastic Jesus on it. I had to take the dead plastic Jesus off it. And I did. And it now hangs in my house, just the cross. And that's something that's really hard to do. What do you do with the dead plastic Jesus? Throw it in the trash? Try doing that. You know, it was important to somebody, right? When we got this church, there were statues behind me. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph We didn't want to put them in a dumpster and take them down Pleasant Street, right? But my point, beloved people, is that he is risen. And we must remember that not only in church, but in all of life, that he is risen. And he is ascended. And he is at the right hand of the Father, and he reigns. And the world looks like it's out of control, 
but it really isn't. He is in control. And we are reaping the due penalty for our perversion in America. We have this view, we think that America can last forever, that we're the best. Uh, Maybe not. Time will tell. We will see. You know? But don't think that just because things are crazy that Jesus is not in control. Many times in the Old Testament, he left people to their own devices and to the judgment of God. Whom are you seeking? The truth of the resurrection sets you free, not only now, but also sets you free for the future. That you know that Jesus is alive. Now think about this, and I get this all the time. People say, well, shouldn't we be having church on Saturday? No, we shouldn't be having church on Saturday. We should be having church on Sunday. The first important remark in this passage is, now on the first day of the week, that's what it says. We would be wrong to discount the statement as nearly marking time. Because time in the Bible is theological, not simply chronological. One can find the answer when he says first day of the week in the fact that John uses the feasts of Israel to structure his record of Jesus' ministry. The feasts culminated not on the last day of the week, but on what they called the eighth day. The beginning of the new week. It had been on the eighth day and the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That was not on the last day of the feast, but the day after the last day of the feast, what they call the eighth day. Of course, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus was resurrected on the eighth day of the Passover week, the Sunday after the Sabbath Saturday. The book of Acts records the Spirit came upon the church on the Pentecost, that is the 50th day. Seven times seven, 49 days, seven weeks. And it was the day after the seventh Sabbath from the Passover was the eighth day. The symbolism of these feasts agree with John's emphasis on the first day of the new week, the hope of the ancient scriptures and of the people of God is not found in the old week of the law, but in the new week of the gospel, you understand. And so, beginning with the first day of the new creation and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So great is that day, so great is its significance, that the apostolic church 
shifted its worship from Saturday to Sunday and has never looked back to mark the first day of the new creation in Christ. And Easter is special, and yes, it is. But we're here every Sunday celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we acknowledge one of the central and joyous truths of the Christian gospel, that coming to Christ begins a new and eternal life based upon the definitive act of Jesus dying for our sins and rising so that we can live a new life. We have the power to live a new life, and we have the power and we have the imprimatur of living everlasting life because Jesus rose again. It's a new era of history. It's been inaugurated. The spiritual resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee. Not far from here, D.L. Moody lived. And all of us, as Christians, can expect trials and sorrows in life. But D.L. Modi tells a story that shows a difference. To know the happy ending of Jesus, which is the happy ending for all Christians. A bright teenage girl was suddenly afflicted with a grave disease that paralyzed her and rendered her nearly blind. Her hearing, however, was unimpaired. The doctor remarked sympathetically, it looks like her best days are over. The girl heard what he said, and she said, no, doctor, my best days are yet to come when I shall see the king in his beauty. Is there anyone in the church today whose heart is alive that's looking forward to seeing a person by the name of Jesus Christ in all his glory? Are you waiting for that day? Are you thinking about that day? Are you living for that day? Or has everyone just been glazed over by the indifference of our culture? Has everyone numbed by cell phones in a news media that broadcasts deception, lies, and false information? I don't know. They say that the size of the true church is small. I believe it. It's smaller than the circle. That presumably is the church. Why are you crying? Whom are you looking for? A living Lord or a dead idol? Most people would pick the dead idol because they're picking themselves. Most people worship themselves. You realize that? I worship 
at the temple of me. It's all about me, they say. The true Christian's not fooled by dead religion. The kind that acts like Jesus is dead. Beloved, though now we weep in the valley of tears, our future shines like the sun. That's only for the Christian. It's not for the non-Christian. Listen to this words of Scripture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. Do you remember? You have to be kind of probably at least 40 maybe older, to remember this. But do you remember when we were kids? Listen to me, all you people my age. Remember when we played outside from morning till night? We just went out and we played outside. Our parents didn't even know where we were. We were all over the neighborhood. No one had to watch you. No one was concerned that you'd be stolen by somebody. We just went out. And we had a signal when we were out at night. That is, when the streetlights come on, come home. So when the streetlights went on, I said, oh, you know, got to go home. And that's when we came home. And I remember, do you remember when it became nice, the weather got nice? And those days became long, long summer days as a kid. I'm enjoying it now, aren't you? I was working in my office the other, uh, yesterday evening, and, you know, the sun was still out at, later than I expected it. And I'm like, this is great, man. I can't wait till like, you know, the sun sets at 9 o'clock or whatever it is. Those long summer days. Eternity to the unbelieving person is the night that has no sunrise. The nightmare never ends. But eternity to the godly is the day that has no sunset. Which one do you want? Which one do you want? Let us pray. Our Lord, 
we know that because you live, we will live also. But we know, Lord, that we are to put our faith and trust in you and you alone. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that has not done that, that they would do that. Maybe it's not today. Maybe it is today. Father, I pray it would be soon. And for us, Lord, help us to process all of our life in the light of the happy fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.